0: I've been thinking a lot about coming home. What does it mean to come home? And uh, over the past few weeks, I've been thinking about the films uh, that I like to watch at Christmas. I wonder what your favourite film is at Christmas. Is it Love Actually?, uh, where, for some people, it is their favourite Christmas film. Christmas has not started until they have seen Love Actually. I actually met somebody uh, two weeks ago who had never watched the film Love Actually, and I prayed for him uh, on the spot. Uh, maybe it's the old favourites like White Christmas or It's a Wonderful Life or, or that well-known seasonal favourite that speaks of good cheer and goodwill to all people, Die Hard. Um, LAUGHTER I have to confess that my favourite Christmas film is Home Alone. Uh, Thank you, thank you so much. Um, For me, this is the classic uh, Christmas film, Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. Not Home Alone 3, Home Alone 4. They were absolute rubbish. But Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2, for me, they are the business. It's become a tradition to watch them uh, for me at Christmas. Actually, as we were putting up our Christmas tree uh, two weeks ago on Advent Sunday, um, we put Home Alone on and we had one of these sort of idyllic scenes that never occurs uh, in our home uh, where we watched um, Home Alone at the same time as putting up... uh, the Christmas tree and decorating it. It was like something out of a sort of Michael McIntyre Christmas special. Um, And uh, we put up the tree and we watched eight-year-old Kevin McAllister defeat the evil burglars, Harry and Marv, uh, with slapstick comedy routines uh, that had been made famous probably 80 years before in those black and white films. And it was to my amazement that I discovered that it's actually 25 years since Home Alone was made. 25 years it's the silver jubilee anniversary of the film Home Alone and I came across an article recently that actually showed that Home Alone 1 and 2 certainly could now not be made in the form in which they were made. We have advanced so much technologically and gone through so many changes in our society that they would have to rewrite the script of Home Alone. If you know the film, the whole thing that kicks off the fight that leads to Kevin being put in the attic is that they, they spill the milk, and the milk starts to go towards this strange object called paper airplane tickets. And we don't know what they are anymore. And we have them on our smartphones, or we, we download them onto our tablets. Um, but these were real paper airline tickets that people had. And that's what kicked the whole film off. Nowadays, they wouldn't have... Um, paper airline tickets. You wouldn't print them off unless you were um, scared of getting ripped off by Ryanair or EasyJet, but you you couldn't make that film in the same way. The power cut that turns all their alarm clocks off, their phones would still ring. The alarms on their mobile phones would still go off. They come out of the house when the doorbell goes, and the uncle says to Kevin McAllister's father, we've only got 45 minutes to get to the airport and make the flight. This is to fly to Paris. This is an international flight. They've got to get from where they are to O'Hare Airport in Chicago and get an international flight. Nowadays, it takes 45 minutes to get through security alone. I've walked, I've actually run. When I went to Chicago once, I I ran down the same hall. You are stopped six times before you get to the gate by different security barriers. There is no way that they could recreate that scene. Arriving in Paris, Kevin's mum tries to reach Kevin by using a payphone. (laughs) A payphone. (laughs) They don't exist anymore. Nowadays, they would simply use their mobiles. The burglars, Marvin Harry, the wet bandits in Home Alone 1, the sticky bandits in Home Alone 2. See, I am that much more of a connoisseur and geek that I know that they're called different names in the different films. They hesitate to rob the McAllister's house uh, in the first one because they are unsure as to whether Kevin really is Home Alone. Well, today they would just check his or his parents' status on Facebook, Instagram or Snapchat. If you remember Home Alone 1, Kevin uses a... Remember, okay, if you're under the age of 15, turn to somebody who will help explain this term to you. Kevin uses a VHS video. (laughs) And he he plays a film backwards and forwards to scare the burglars and also to scare the pizza delivery boy. Nowadays, he would simply um, order the pizza on Hungry House or Deliveroo and he'd be using his Netflix account or a YouTube clip. He goes out to a grocery store to buy food or a toothbrush. Well, now he would simply order it online, and Amazon Prime would deliver it by drone within the hour. <laughs> and finally, he when the mum phones home and says um, to the police... Um, Could you go and check that my son is there? She gets the brush off. Can you imagine in today's society, in today's culture, social services would be around within minutes. The parents would be in prison. Kevin would be taken into care. The family would still be separated, but in a different way, and it would not make for a family comedy. (laughs) But that is how Home Alone would be made today. Old-fashioned, outdated and impossible now to make, or indeed for younger people to understand, my kids say it sounds just like me. (laughs) But why does the film still hit a nerve? Why does the idea of coming home for Christmas still resonate? My earliest memory as a child is of my grandparents coming up from Sussex to where we live just south of Manchester. And I went out with my my parents and we waited for them to drive underneath um, on the M6 so we could see them and they came to our house for Christmas. It was the only year that my grandparents came to our house for Christmas. Later that year, um, my, my grandfather died and my grandma never came. To my house again for Christmas there was just that one time it's my earliest memory as a child I was think uh, three or four years of age but I can still remember it because the idea of a family coming together at Christmas is an incredibly powerful image why do we still listen to Jonah Lewis singing I wish It was at home for Christmas or Chris Rea singing driving home for Christmas Why the need for families to reunite at Christmas, even if too much food, too much alcohol, too many late nights and proximity to relatives that you never see the rest of the year lead to January the 6th being the busiest day of the year for a late. The idea of families coming home for Christmas, of course, this year does have extra poignancy. Since we saw this photograph of a small child their body being found on a beach. Somehow over the past three or four months, many of us have have looked and thought of the idea of home differently. Night by night, we've seen images of people who are far from home, people who are desperate and looking for a home. It's estimated now that there are over four million people who have fled Syria to escape civil war, militant Islamic terrorism and fear. And Christmas this year has an added feature. As we gather to celebrate the birth of a baby 2,000 years ago, a baby born as a refugee, who within days of being born was forced to flee from his home in the Middle East and to travel around the Middle East to escape death and infanticide. Sounds ironically familiar. A friend remarked to me last week that she'd been suddenly struck watching the television programs that week that the fact by this particular fact, that the four million people who were in refugee camps were not simply refugees. We use terms like that to help us cope. We use terms like the homeless or the young or the old to depersonalize people when we group them into refugees or the homeless or the young or the old or the elderly or the mentally ill, they somehow become distant and dehumanised. This friend said to me watching the TV news, she'd suddenly been struck by the fact that these were people, people just like her, And indeed, if you've read any of the stories of the people who are fleeing from Syria, from Damascus in particular, they are ordinary people. They're parents and children. They're teachers. They're lawyers. They're engineers. They're university lecturers. They're business people. They're normal people, i.e., they're people like you and they're people like me. They're not refugees, they're people like you. They're people like me, who simply happen to live in a different place, and can no longer call the place where they live home. And it got me thinking this week, what do you lose when you become a refugee? Well I guess there are many things, and if you haven't become one, then I think it's hard for many of us to fully understand and grasp what it really means to be a refugee. Refugee. What's it meant for the families who are already living in Edinburgh and Scotland? What does it mean to be transported from Damascus to Glasgow or Edinburgh with perhaps little or no command of the English language, never mind being put in Scotland? And having to be with people, around people who do not know you, who do not know your history, who do not know your story, who do not know your culture... What does it mean for the children to begin to face the prospect of going into a school where nobody else speaks their language? It got me thinking, what do you lose when you become a refugee? Well, firstly, I think you lose your purpose or position in society if you're an adult. Certainly your job is gone. All your training and experience probably counts for nothing. Running to preserve your life and that, perhaps, of your family, your job as a teacher or an engineer probably counts for little. Along with your job may go something of your identity and purpose. Who are you? How much value does a refugee camp put upon a university degree or a doctorate? A different, transitory, fragile and insecure context means that you aren't known You have nowhere to belong. You are homeless. You are rootless. Next perhaps goes any feeling of security and safety. Many of us tonight will feel that feeling of going home and closing the door and being able to lock it. If you live in a tent, your existence is much more precarious. Tents are very difficult things to lock. Your safety is threatened. Your security is threatened. And that perhaps of your children, that perhaps of your spouse. You're vulnerable, exposed, constantly suspicious, desperate perhaps for somewhere to relax, to switch off, to call home, as that opening video reminded us. And as I thought about what goes when you become a refugee, And as I thought about Christmas, two things struck me. Firstly, the fact that according to the Christian faith, according to the Bible, spiritually, we, all of us, are refugees. Our true identity as God's children has been lost, obscured, blurred. And as we forget the God who made us to live in relationship with him, Then as human beings, we lose our sense of purpose and identity. Our lost identity as God's children means that our sense of where we came from and where we belong is lost, it's tarnished, it's distorted. And we run frantically to find out who we are and why we matter. So we look to find our identity in in other things. We look to find our identity perhaps in the things that we achieve, our careers, our jobs, our salaries, where we stay. In our society, there's even a new phenomenon called FOMO, F-O-M-O. It's a social anxiety that social anthropologists have identified as having occurred more and more in the last 10 years. FOMO, F-O-M-O, is literally the fear of missing out. It might be a party, it might be the latest film, it might be a special relationship, it might be a friendship with a spouse, a child, a friend or a grandchild, or it might be a delicious romantic dinner. And what's happened over the last 10 years is we've always felt it to some degree, but it's got faster and faster and been made worse. Things like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat have just increased this sense of... FOMO, the fear of missing out. Everyone else is tweeting what they're doing. Everyone else is Snapchatting that fantastic meal that they've just had, that amazing film that they've just seen, the fact that their life is better than your life and my life. Now, we always suspected that, but now we have it put right in front of us. We're stuck with the reality of our lives, whereas we get every day on our phones or our tablets, through our Twitter feed or whatever, we get the best reels of other people's lives. When according to one philosopher, actually most people lead lives of quiet desperation. And likewise, if we forget that God made us and made us to live in relationship with him, then our sense of safety and security is threatened. We desperately try to make ourselves safe in a dangerous world. And we find security in material things, in stuff, in the latest gadgets, like iPads. When the reality is that according to the Bible, if we're living life outside of a relationship with God, then we are truly home alone. We are the most connected generation in history, but we are often the loneliest. I often speak to people, and this is how they describe their lives. Lost, alone, rootless, searching for value and worth in a culture full of stuff. And no matter how much you achieve, it's never enough. Judd Apatow, one of the world's best producers and directors of films like Bridesmaids, Anchorman, and Superbad, was interviewed last year in Rolling Stone magazine, and he said this about success. He said, success won't heal you. It doesn't do anything. There's a great distraction in thinking, when I get to the top of that hill, it's all going to be awesome. And then when you get to the top of the hill, you're like, oh, I guess now I'll have to really deal with my problems. Because that didn't work at all. Somebody once asked J.D. Rockefeller, one of the richest people on this planet, how much is enough money? His reply said it all, just a little bit more. And that's the lie that our society says to us. That's the lie that our culture says to us. Just a little bit more. And that's where our security will come from. That's where our safety will come from. That's where our happiness will come from. That's where our identity will come from. But secondly, as I thought about Christmas and what it means to be a refugee, it struck me again what it meant then for Jesus to become human, for him to be born, for him to come as a refugee. You see, when Jesus was born as a baby 2,000 years ago, in this unique claim of the Christian faith, Jesus lost something of his identity. The technical theological term is kenosis. It it, it means he literally emptied himself of his glory, of his identity. In becoming human, in being born as a baby, a fragile, vulnerable, helpless baby, in an obscure backwater of the Roman Empire, in a small town outside the capital, in a place that was literally off the map as far as the ancient world was concerned, God became a refugee. And as God was born and became a refugee, something of his identity and purpose was lost too. The Son, through whom all things were created, became a creature. And people were constantly coming up to him and saying, Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? As people saw the things that Jesus did, as people heard the things that Jesus said, they asked each other, Who is this? man who is this man people would come up to Jesus and say who are you whether it was the high priests whether it was his followers whether it was the common people of the day they would come to Jesus and say who are you there is something about you that we just don't get Jesus had never had to answer that question before Because in eternity, at the right hand of God the Father, it was very clear who Jesus was. But in becoming a refugee, he lost something of his identity. He lost something of his status. He lost something of his position. He certainly lost something of his safety and security, leaving eternity and entering into time and space, becoming a fetus, a baby, a toddler. A child, a teenager, a young adult, and then dying, age 33. And the question has to be, why? Why did God do that? Very simply, God did that to bring you and me home. God left his home In order to bring you and I, and every single human being who has ever existed, home. Back into a relationship with him. Whether we feel close to him, or whether we feel far away from him. That's why Jesus was born. That's why Jesus lived. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus was raised again. In order to bring you and me home. So that we need no longer live as refugees. So that we need no longer live looking for security and safety and identity and purpose and security and love. Because God has become a refugee because of one very simple reason. Because he loves us. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what the incarnation, God becoming a human being, is all about. God giving the best thing that he could give. His only child. His only son. In order that you and I might be brought home. This evening, you may well feel happy. You may well feel secure. You may well feel safe, you may well feel at peace, you may well be really looking forward to Christmas. But there may be a niggle also inside, where if you're honest with yourself, you feel to a degree rootless, insecure, lost, perhaps even frightened that we live in a dangerous world. Maybe in a world which is ironically so connected, you have never perhaps felt as lonely as you do this Christmas. And it was never meant to be this way. God became homeless in order to bring us home. He became a refugee in order that we might not live home alone. That we might live life in relationship with him knowing that ultimately he himself is our home, that he loves us unconditionally, not because we're good or bad, not because we're nasty or nice, but simply because of who he is. And that's the offer of Christmas, that God offers you security and safety and peace and identity and purpose and hope, not the promise that life will be a bed of roses, not the promise that nothing ever will go wrong again in your life, but that maybe perhaps especially when things get difficult. God's peace, God's love, God's hope, God's joy, God's security are there as resources for us to give us the strength to go through those tough times. Jesus entered fully into the human existence. Jesus, who's been called God's selfie. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus said, simply look at me. The question this Christmas is whether you have the courage to begin that journey home. Is whether you have the courage and the honesty to say, that's me. I feel rootless, I feel lost, I try to fill my life with lots of stuff, but it just hasn't worked and I think it probably never will. But I'm willing to begin to live life on God's terms, I'm beginning to begin that journey home. If that's you tonight, then Rich or myself or anybody who's been involved in up here at the front, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to give you the chance perhaps to go on a course. We call it the Alpha Course. Millions of people around the world have done it where over 10, 11 weeks, you can just begin to explore what it means to come home, to explore who Jesus is, to ask that fundamental question. Who is this man? And then to see whether it might actually work and make a difference in your life.